0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Let me see if I can get this mic turned on. This, uh, obviously, as pastors just uh, just shared, this, this is uh, an awesome thing for me, to be back here in uh, my home territory. Uh, my wife and I, and, and my wife sitting back here, will be 40 years in February, um, but... Uh, yeah, this this was a uh, this was a great place uh, for me growing up. I mean, I I mean I don't know if you know my my grandmother and grand, grandfather had a store not too far from here over in Gardner's, right beside Uriah United Methodist Church, and I would stay over there during the summers at times and pick strawberries and cherries, and and uh, I would ride my bike, you know, during the summer. Down here with my cousin my my cousin would join me down here Dwight, but I'd ride my my bike from there down here to the uh, baseball field and uh, During the summers and play for dictate and and so he was uh, Dick and that team was a huge part of me getting to where I was or where I I got to and uh, And where I got to was I had an opportunity to play in the major leagues for close to 12 years And uh, started off with the Los Angeles Dodgers and went from the Dodgers over to the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Pirates to the Braves. And then my last year was with the Houston Astros. Played in four consecutive National League Championships, two World Series. But folks, 30 years ago, October 14th, I was involved with a play that if you're a Pirate fan in here, you probably don't like me for. but I mean, even still today, I mean, it's still considered one of the most exciting plays in Major League Baseball history. So, if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and and show you that just to break your hearts a little bit more, and uh, and then and then we'll uh, proceed with the service. So, if you guys are ready back there, go ahead and play it up there, and we'll uh, we'll get moving with the service then. But. The Pirates, who had lost the previous two league championship series, seemed to be finally on their way to the World Series, taking a two-run lead into the bottom of the ninth. But who will ever forget what happened next? After pinch hitter Brian Hunter popped up, Bobby Cox used his last out and the last hope on Francisco Cabrera. Remember his top of the ninth game-tying home run against Cincinnati last year? Bases loaded. Two outs. A lot of room in right center if he hits one there we can dance in the streets the 2-1 22 of the Braves' 32 RBIs in the series came with two outs. So, lady and ge- ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to know your pastor's up here clapping for that. If you're a Pirates fan, I mean, I, I know that that's not going to go too well. But, uh, but at the same time, folks, I mean, that was a special day for me, and I mean, I could go through and tell you the whole episode from me going from Pittsburgh down to Atlanta and so on and so forth. But uh, you know, face it, 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 was, it was God's choice. It, it allowed me to go down there and start Bible studies for the guys. It allowed me to start couples Bible studies with everybody, and and so God had a reason. And then with all that being said, he made me slow enough in order to make a play exciting. And, uh, and I know a lot of you Pirate fans are probably sitting there saying you were still out. I mean, that's fine, you can have that thought. But uh, today, it really doesn't matter anymore, so. Uh, <laughs> but listen, you'll never ever, as I've shared before, you'll never ever have a play like that in Major League Baseball history again, because Jim Leland today would have thrown out the, the uh, flag. And we'd have had a replay, and you'd have sat in the stadium for four minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it would have been. For them to uh, decide that I was safe and, and then you would have been able to apply, but you will never have that impromptu kind of a, an ordeal on a play such as that. Now you can have a home run, you can get a clear base hit, but a play designed just like that, you'll never ever have another one in the game of baseball because of the replay. So I was very, very fortunate and that was considered the fourth most exciting play in Major League Baseball history about 10 years ago. And I mean, and even today, I mean, I know it's in the top ten if it's not still in the top five. So uh, I'm blessed to be a part of it. I really and truly am. But the reason that I'm blessed to be a part of it is because I have a chance to be here with you guys. I mean, God has used that play for 30 years now for me to be able to get in front of people and tell them about my relationship with Jesus Christ and understanding that it has been a process. I have not been perfect. And I want you to know that I have not been perfect. My wife can tell you that. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I am blessed here today, guys. I have some great family and family members with me, and uh, it, it's great to see everybody coming out here today to, to be a part of this. But, uh, you know, I, I could go in and, and I could share some other, some other ordeal, uh, some other events that took place in the game of baseball, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get right into my message, if that's okay with you. And, uh, you know, I know you probably, probably have your roast in the oven or chick, chicken in the oven or something, and I don't want to burn it, okay? <laughs> so, uh, actually, we're going, I guess you guys are going to go down afterwards and, and have something afterwards. But uh, but this is, this is my story. This is my message for you all. I mean, I, uh, I went to school at Liberty University down in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, I was the first one to, to go down there. And, um, and that was all a part of, you know, my, my uncle Leroy, sitting back there. I mean, he wrote a note to the school in order for me to, to be, be noticed. I mean, obviously it was all God, I mean, when we think about it, it was all God's plan. But I mean, Leroy initiated the thing by writing a letter to get me down to Liberty. But by, while I was there, I had a coach at Liberty University by the name of Al Worthington. And Al Worthington, I wish every young person that played any kind of a sport would have the opportunity to, uh, to be under his tutelage. He was a godly, godly man. He was a great mentor. Uh, he taught me a lot about the game of baseball, but he taught me a whole lot about the life as well. And, uh, you know, and so if you remember back, there, was, there were commercials, E.F. Hutton. When E.F. When e. Hutton speaks, you listen. Well, when Coach Worthington spoke, you listened, because there was a lot of wisdom that generally came out of his mouth. And he was sharing one day how, when he played Major League Baseball, and as he was playing Major League Baseball, him and his friend every day would go out from the clubhouse, go out onto the field, and they'd run their 10, 15, 20 sprints, whatever it was, to keep themselves in shape for the season. And every day that they had run those sprints, I mean, my coach, as they, they said go, my coach would, would beat his, his friend. There was, there was uh, no question. Every, every race that they ever run, he said he would win in the race. And so one day, his, his friend came out of the, uh, the clubhouse and he looked at my coach and he said, Coach, he said, I, I want to bet you, well, Al, he said, I want to bet you that I can beat you in this race. And you got to understand, my coach, I mean, he's sitting there thinking, are you crazy? I have beat you every time we've ever raced on this, off of this line, and you're going to bet me now that you can beat me in this race? He said, you're crazy. I'll take your money. Well, they get on the line. Somebody said go, and, and, and his friend just blew him away. And, you, you, and again, you've got to understand my coach, he didn't <laughs> like that a whole lot because every day he was, he was out there giving it his best. And his friend was lackluster in, in, in his performance as far as giving it his best to keep himself in shape for the game of baseball and so on and so forth. So my coach didn't like the fact that he wasn't giving it his best. Another story, I mean, I don't know if you, you guys have seen the, story, or seen the movie, Facing the Giants, year, came out years ago. Great, great movie, Christian movie. But that movie was all about a coach and his football team, but on that football team, there was one young man that was he was the best player on the team, but he was also the antagonist. He was also the the the, the, the young man that brought the rest of the team down in, in, in his antics and so on and so forth. So one day, I mean they, they were doing this drill where at that point in time they they put they get down at the goal line, they go down to the goal line and they put all put the linemen on their, their hands and feet. And they put a young man on his back, and, and they'd go out to the 10-yard line and then come back I mean, with that, one, that young man on his back. And, and that was to, to uh, develop strength and endurance I mean, for the season and so on and so forth. Well, everything was going okay until this, this young boy uh, started to act up, and he started to bring the team down. And his coach needed to do something. So at that point in time, I mean, he, he challenged this young man. He said, I want to challenge you to see whether or not you can put a young man on your back, one of your players on your back, and go to the 50-yard line blindfolded. Well, being a cocky young man that he was, I mean, sure, I I can get this done, no problem. So they put him on the line. They said go, and he started to go, and for a while, everything was fine because, I mean, he was strong and healthy and doing really, really well, and after a little bit, what took place is the lactic gases started to build up in his arms and his legs, and he started to huff and puff a little bit more. And as that started to happen, I mean, he'd cry out to his coach, Coach! Coach, am I getting close? And the coach would holler back at him, son, are you giving it your best? Are you giving it your best? And the kid, young man would keep on going. He'd keep plodding. But, I mean, as he kept going, I mean, he got t- more and more tired. And he'd holler out at his coach again, Coach! Coach, am I getting close? And the coach would holler back, are you giving it your best? Are you giving it your best? And finally, the young man couldn't go any further, and he collapsed. I mean, and he, as he started to recuperate with his wind and everything else, he was on his back. And he, and he looked up. He took his blindfold off, and he looked at his coach. And he said, Coach, he said, I did a make the 50 yards. And the coach looked at him and said, "Son." You know, they made 50 yards, you made 100 yards because you gave it your best. And folks, that's what I'm going to share. I want to share with you today. I mean, as Christians, if you're a Christ follower here today, if you call Christ your your savior and Lord, my question to you is, Were well, you giving it your best? And I'm so thankful. Some of the things that I'm going to be talking on, you know, pastor with you guys memorizing scriptures is so awesome. But some of the things that I'm going to be talking on today, I mean, it's already been brought up today. So if you're a part of this church, you're in a, you're in a great place. But at the same time, I want to just first go back. And I want you to look at a, a verse in Malachi, if you, if you have your Bibles. You can go to Malachi chapter 1. Starting at verse 6. And in, that, in, that, in those verses, it starts off by saying, and Malachi is the, the book right before Matthew, if you, if you don't know where it's at, but the Bible says here, and starting in verse 6, it says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? says, yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar, you ask, how have we defiled you? When you say the Lord's table is contemptible or deserving of scorn, when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a sick, a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor, would he be pleased with you? Or show you favor, ask the Lord of hosts, and now ask for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us, since this has come from your hands? Will he show any of you favor? And I'm just going to jump down to verse 14. Verse 14 says, The deceiver is cursed, who has an acceptable male in his flock, and makes a a, a vow, uh, but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name will be feared among the nations. Powerful verses, there, folks. I mean, and if you understand what has taken place here in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the Jewish nation was required to take unblemished animals. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy fifteen twenty-one, the Bible says God's commandment to the people. But if it has any defects, such as lameness or blindness or any serious defect you should not sacrifice it to the Lord your God that was their requirement they were supposed to bring an unblemished pure animal to the priest and they were supposed to sacrifice it for the covering of their sins not for the taking away of their sins, but for the covering of their sins and what was going on in this verse right here these verses here in Malachi was the fact that they were bringing animals that had a broken leg they were bringing an animal that had a disease in it they were bringing animals that should have been placed on the altar of God's sacrifice and yet they were doing it they weren't giving God their best and, and what to make it all even worse the priests were accepting those sacrifices the priests were taking these people's sacrifices and putting them on, on the altar and saying hey everything's fine your sins are covered no big deal but God here in these verses is saying hey should I do I deserve this do I deserve this? I mean, he said, would you do that for your governor? If you brought your governor to your house, would you give him a a defiled animal? Would you give him a diseased animal? Absolutely not. So why in the world the God of creation, the God of my people, why in the world are you giving me a defiled animal? A defected animal? And so folks, I mean, you know, what I wanted to share with you today, I mean, it's the same, even though, you know, Christ. When he died on the cross, and I mean, he took away our sins past, past, present, and future forever. We're not no longer covered, but, but at the same time, folks, I mean, as we're sitting here talking about our lives as Christians, we still have to ask the question, are we giving God our best? If Christ is your, if Christ is your, your Savior, your Lord, you understand what he did on the cross at Calvary. My question again, is God getting your best? And I'm going to go down some things here, some, some different areas in our lives. But, I mean, you know, my first, my first question to you is, is if God is our Savior and if, if he's our Lord, is God getting our best in regards to our priority? Is he your priority? Do You wake up one every morning, every morning, and just say, Lord, this is your day. I thank you for getting me through the night. I thank you for what you're doing. And and God, today is your day. I'm giving this day to you. I ask you, Lord, to shape me and mold me and make me into the person that you want me to be. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he'll meditate day and night. And it says if you do that, you'll be like a tree that's planted by streams of water. Whatever you do will prosper. Folks, my question to you, first of all, if you're a Christian here today, is Christ your priority? Or is he a a one-day-a-week priority? Do you come to church on Sundays, and that's all you have with Jesus Christ throughout the course of the week? Or does he get, moment by moment, parts of your day, are you thinking about him? Are you asking him to change your life on a daily basis, to make you more like Jesus Christ on a daily basis? Is that something that's a priority for you? If it isn't, then are you giving God your best? Second thing is your Bible reading, your memorization of scripture, and again, I'm so thankful that the pastor has you guys memorizing scripture. But in God's word, I mean, in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It also says in Psalm 119, 105, and 106, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. How important it is for us to To be able to pick up this word and to be able to read it, other than on Sundays. Other than on Sundays. This is supposed to be a part of our lives, folks. We go to work, and we'll learn everything we can about our job. We'll think about our families, we'll think about our friends, we'll do everything that we can. But when it comes to our Savior and Lord, this book is a a one-day-a-week ordeal. And it should be. This is what we're supposed to be getting into. If we want to know who Jesus Christ is, this is what we're supposed to be getting into. How in the world do we know how we're supposed to live unless we get into God's word? It's vital. And folks, the way darkness is coming into this world right now, Memorization of Scripture, what is taking place in other lands whenever they come in and occupy their, their, their territory? They've taken God's word and they've burned it. What if they put you in jail and you had nothing to be able to, to meditate on and to think about? What would you do? Yeah, you can pray, and, that, and that's a great thing, and that's an awesome thing. But man, to have God's promises... Going through you on a constant basis, understanding you know what Paul went through and the joy that he had going, being in prison, folks. Are you is God getting your best as far as what you're reading? Are you reading God's word on a constant? You know, it's not up to the pastor to make you wise. You should be doing that on your own. It's your job to come here on Sunday mornings to be able to gather, to have fun and fellowship with your your believers here and for him to give you a a, a challenging message to go out into this world with. But at the same time, folks, it's your job. If you want to learn about Jesus Christ, it's your job to get into this word and start to ask him, Lord, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to see? How do you want me to change? That's your job. If Christ is your Lord and Savior here today, is God getting your best in regards to that? Your third thing, or your yet a third thing, is your prayer life. And I'm so thankful for what you guys are doing here as far as prayer is concerned. It's awesome. You know, we're we're praying for individuals, but at the same time, I mean, I don't know, again, a movie that was out years ago, I mean, with Priscilla Shriver, The War Room, how we have to understand it, Satan is trying to defeat us, folks. Satan is trying to, to uh, break up our families. He's trying to mess with our lives. I mean, just, just what Pastor's talking about. You guys, there was a lot of, lot of uh, stuff going on this week. Satan didn't want us to be doing this. He knew some thing, good things were coming. So there are some people in here that are going to be changed today. But, I mean, Priscilla Shriver, I mean, and my wife has adopted it. She, she has on her mirror prayer request. And she goes into her closet and she prays. Prays for her family. Prays for her husband to protect her husband. Prays for friends and, and, and individuals. But prays that Satan would not be able to get in and destroy. Because you don't know, understand what God's word said. He is a deceiver. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, folks. And he's doing a lot of it right now. He's doing a lot of it in our world. He's doing a lot of it in our churches. But we have to be able to understand and recognize and, and be sensitive to what when Satan is di- uh, messing with our lives and say, Lord, get him out of here. Bind him up through the power of Jesus Christ. Get him out of my life. I want to I focus my attention on you. So is prayer a part of your life, folks, on a daily basis? I mean 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything. And I just shared with this young lady up here, I mean, she, we, I've known her for quite some time, and I've been so thankful, the joy that I see on her face on a constant basis. I mean, even through the difficult times, she just shared, yeah, we've had some difficult times, but I always see a, a bright smile on her face. She's allowing the love of Jesus Christ to flow through her. So, folks, prayer has to be a part of our lives. And then I'm going to get to the place of our relationships, folks. Is God getting your best in your relationships? And I and I just want to share this. Our church, I mean, as far as divorce is concerned, I mean, we have one out of two. 1993, and I know it's a long time ago, but there was a, a survey done And it's the same today, but a survey was done that one out of two divorces in churches went down in in divorce just like one out of two in the world. Crazy. Should never be that way if we're trusting in a God that loves us. And Yes, we're all going to make mistakes. Believe me, I've made my share of mistakes in my marriage. But at the same time, you don't want to hear another great statistic. A great statistic, I should say, that came out of that same survey, for a husband and wife who prayed together, you know what the statistic was for a divorce? One out of 1,153 that got a divorce. One out of 1,153 that got a divorce when the the, the husband and the wife came together in, in prayer and just asked God, protect my family, protect my marriage. Help me, Lord, to be the leader that I'm supposed to be in that marriage. My wife and I would do that occasionally in our marriage, but now it's an every night ordeal. We pray for our marriage, and men, you need to step up to the plate. You're the leaders in your home, and what would your wife do if you went home tonight and said, Hun, can I just have a word of prayer with you?" She's gonna she's gonna flip off her lid. But it doesn't have to be long, guys. I mean, I know some of you it's difficult for you to pray. But it doesn't, but if, if, you're, you're, if you're, your marriage is that important to you, you should be willing to just take a couple seconds, a minute, and just say, Lord, protect my marriage. Help me to be the man that I'm supposed to be to my wife. Help me to lead her. Help me to love her. Help me to care for her. Protect my marriage. Keep me away from Satan, Lord. Help me to do what I'm supposed to do. And at the same time, today, folks, we we have a lot of uh, younger folks that doesn't feel, they don't feel as though that this, this ring is important. This ring is very, very important, folks. It binds us together. And today, I mean, you know, our world, as I've shared I shared with my wife just this last week. There were times in these 40 years that I looked at my wife and said, I don't want to be with you. And there were times that she definitely looked at me and said, I don't want to be with you. But folks, when we got this ring on our finger, we said for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, and sickness and in health. It didn't mean until we fell out, fell out of love. Because that's going to happen. But this binds us together. The, the, the covenant binds us together. And it doesn't matter how much wrong that each partner does, we have to learn to forgive as Christ forgave us. So our relationships are very, very important to to the Lord. And I think it's a crying shame. It's a crying shame for anybody that, that, uh, you know, doesn't allow Christ to do a work in their relationships. He can do it all, folks. He's a big God. And I think we forget about that. He's a big, big God. And if we just come to him and submit to him and and confess to him, he's going to do a great work in our lives. I know he's been doing it in my life. So that's the next one. The next one is your purity in your thought life. Another difficult one, folks. Your purity in your thought life. A stat out there that says it's 7 out of 10 men that go to church, or 7 out of 10 that go to church, On Sunday morning, we'll look at photography throughout the course of a month. Five out of ten pastors. Difficult ordeal, but our wives don't deserve that. And ladies, if you're doing it, your husbands don't deserve it. We, our wives are never to live up to the fantasies that we see in those, in those post pictures or videos, folks. God, God requires our best in regards to that. How about our words that come out of our mouth? You know, it's surprising to me. I mean, and I just shared this. I mean, not too long ago, I mean, I heard about a professional football player that was supposed to be a strong believer And on Monday Night Football, I mean, I watched his mouth numerous times say, UMF, UMF, UMF. And I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, strong Christian? But, I mean, so many times, folks, I mean, we go to church on Sunday mornings and, I mean, we put, you know, we're sitting there talking to our brothers and sisters in the church and, oh, Brother George, it's so great to see you. God is good, isn't he? He's He's amazing. And we leave this place and we go to a workplace and the first words that come out of our mouth to our coworkers is some dirty joke or some curse word. How are you being an example? How are you being a testimony? How are you being a, a, a difference trying to show somebody that love for Jesus Christ whenever that's the stuff that's coming out of your mouth? And I share that, you know, I, used to, I, I played a lot of celebrity golf outings. And a lot, of, most of the time, I mean, you know, I'd be with four different guys every time that I went to one of these golf outings. And most of the time, those guys would get together, and the first thing that come out of their mouth was some dirty joke where they'd be cussing or, cussing up a storm, and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of shy myself away from them. And normally by the ninth hole, about the ninth hole, I mean, you know, somebody would come over to I me, and they'd start to cuss or something, or start to tell a joke, and I'd just, and then right away... I'm sorry, Sid. Sorry, sorry that I did that. They already recognized. They already recognized that being shoot, there was I didn't want to hear that stuff. And so when you're joining in, when you're joining in, what's that telling these people? You're just like them. We're supposed to be separate from this world. People are supposed to see a difference in us, folks. And my question to you is, I mean, are they seeing a difference in you? Are you giving God your best as far as your life? I mean, the, way, the words that are coming out of your mouth. I mean, Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out, out of your mouth. Ephesians 5.4 says, And coarse and foolish talking or crude, or crude joking are not suitable. Folks, if you're reading your words, you're going to see that. If you're reading God's word, you're going to see that, and then you're going to have to make that decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to follow God's word? Or am I going to, you know, just continue to do my own thing? That's why it's so important to read God's word, folks. And again, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm perfect. I'm not. Because, I mean, again, my wife can tell you. But I'm learning, and it's a process. I mean, we all have to understand in here it's a process. But what is your process? Are you wanting to know about Jesus Christ? Are you wanting to live for him? Or are you just, uh, you know, wanting to do your own thing? That's the big thing. And so, you know, and again, there's there's so many here that I I could go over, but the last one that I wanted to just share with you is your witness to others. Your witness to others. You know, in in God's word, he tells us three things. The three biggest commandments is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the third one is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's your job. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself and go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. My question to you is, when was the last time that you shared Jesus with somebody? When was the last time that somebody came up to you and said, man, what's so different about you? How can you have joy in your heart when you're going through this struggle? I mean, that lady that's sitting there saying, that. you know, her surgery is an altar to the Lord. What, a, what an awesome picture. If I was to meet you out on the street somewhere, folks, and I asked you if you had kids and you didn't know anything about me, and I asked you this, what were your priorities for your kids? What would you tell me or your grandkids? I believe that most of you in here would say, man, I want to be healthy. I want them to get a good education I want them to get a good job I want them to have a a nice spouse I want them to have grandkids for me I want them to be good and folks I want you to know something there's nothing wrong with any one of those things but if your first priority for your kids is for them not to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior then you're messed up because nothing else matters nothing else My wife and I have four children, three great daughter-in-laws. Every one of them knows Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Folks, it's a peace. There's a peace. We've had grandparents. We've had aunts and uncles on both sides of grandparents that, folks, we understand what it's about. And there's a great peace. There's been a legacy that has been established over the ages of of following Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. My wife and I would do anything for our kids, put them in different places so that they could hear somebody share about the love of Jesus Christ, whether it was camps, whether it was baseball camps, whatever it was, just so that they could hear other from us about the love of Jesus Christ. Because, again, that's all that matters. Because all of us are going all of us are gonna leave this earth one of these days. Some of us sooner than later. And folks, my mom just passed away. We've had an aunt pass away this year. My, I had a cousin pass away this year. But I know, I know that I know that I know that they're all up in heaven. And they're telling me, if you could see me now, I'm walking streets of gold. Folks, is that important. I just spoke out in Carroll, Iowa. I went out there with my, my brothers and brother-in-law and my brother lives out there. We were out there doing some hunting, but they asked me to speak at the church. And while I was there, there was a baptismal service that three brothers, Three brothers went into the baptismal to get baptized. They had changed their life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what those, that mom and dad felt like? They no longer had to worry about their son or daughter, their sons. They had changed their life through the power of Jesus Christ. Folks, and let me just share this with you. It's not the pastor's job to bring people into this church. It's your job. He's here in order to shepherd you guys, but your job is to go out and talk to your friends, your family, invite them to lunch afterwards. But it's your job to bring them to church. That's your obligation. That's what God requires of you. And I don't care what you say. You know, I'm not good at that. I'm not. I'm not a soul. Lover. Hey, all you have to do is ask. Yeah, some of them are going to refuse you. But man, when you put a meal along with it, there's so many times how many people are going to come just to be able to go get that meal. (laughs) Folks, there's a world out there that's dying. There's a world out there that needs Jesus, as Pastor was talking about. I mean, are you, are you burdened? Are you burdened in your heart to want to go out and share the love of Jesus with somebody? And I share this story. And I'll, I'll try to, I mean, it, it, I try to keep it brief, but I know I got to get going here. I share it like this. A toy store owner one day brought three young kids into their, his store to go out and pick whatever they wanted out of their store. And so the first little boy, his name was Daniel. He said, okay, Daniel, go out into the store, get whatever you want. So Daniel went out and he looked through the footballs and baseballs and basketballs and gloves. And, you know, he finally came out with this beautiful bike. And he brought it up to the toy store owner and the toy store owner looked at Daniel. He said, Daniel, he said, is that what you really want? He said, absolutely, sir, that's what I want. And he said, man, and why it's yours? And the little boy with a big smile on his face said, thank you, sir, thank you, and rode his bike out of the store. The next little one was a little girl by Mary. And he said, OK, Mary, go out in the store, get whatever you want. And so Mary went out, and she was looking through the computers, and she was looking through the dolls, and you know all the other toys that were in the store. And she finally came out with this beautiful doll. Mary brought the doll to the, the toy store owner and the toy store owner said, Mary, he said, is that what you really, really want? She said, Yes, sir, that's what I really, really want. And he said, Well, Mary, it's yours. And with a, another big spouse, Mary said, thank you, sir. And she ran out of the store with her doll. So the next little boy, his name was Mark, and he said, okay, Mark, go out in the store, get whatever you want. And Mark just stood there. Mark, you need to go out into the store get whatever you want. Mark just stood there, and after a little bit, the toy store owner looked at Mark and he said, "Mark, why aren't you going out into the store get whatever you want?" And he looked up at the toy store and he said, "Because I don't want anything out there." He said, "No, no, no. You got to understand. You got to go out." He said, "I don't want anything out there." He said, "I want you." Toy store owner said, "You don't understand." And he said, "You got to go out into the store." He said, "I don't want anything out there." He said, "I want you." And finally the torch door and looked at him and said, Mark, why in the world do you want me? And he looked up at him and he said, because when I have you, I have all this. Folks, when we have Jesus, we have all this. We have everything. We have peace in this world, even through the midst of trouble. Even in the darkness, we know who's in control. And one day, we're going to hear our Savior say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come on in. So, folks, I pray that you'll start opening your mouth. I pray that you won't worry about what people say to you. Whether you lose your job, God knows. Who's going to take care of you? And so with all that, I mean, I just got to share, you know, How do I do all that? How does that happen? And I I just share this. Luke 9, 23 says, Jesus said unto them, If any would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. The first thing is, folks, is for us to recognize that he's in control. And we need to give our lives to him on a daily basis. And then Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It's our job to be able to, to seek it, seek Him, to want to be, be changed by Him. And then understand this, we're all messed up. I mean, our pastor all the time says we're all a bunch of messed up people that need, need a Savior. And we make mistakes. We do every day. You know, whether it's pride, whether it's arrogance, whether it's complaining, you know, whether it's lust, whatever it might be, we all make mistakes on a daily basis. But the great thing is, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All we have to do is come back to him. All we have to do is just say, Lord, I messed up. And God will be there for us. So my wife always shares with me, she says this. She said, you know, if Christ only died for you, And that was it. Would that be enough? If Christ died for you for the, your eternity, would, would that be enough? And folks, if it isn't, something's wrong. Because there's our lives. You were born, and I don't care if you lived to be the age of Moses. I just read that Moses was 120 years old. I don't care if you live to be 120 years old. There's your life in regards to here on this earth. But out there, from that point, out there is eternity. I'm looking forward to eternity, folks. Where there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. That's what Paul says. We're not a citizen down here. We're just passing through. We should be t- doing everything we can to bring more and more people into that place where one day Christ is going to say, well done, our good and faithful servant. Come on in. And so I say this. I mean, in 2 Corinthians four seventeen and 18 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. For we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Folks, one of these days, what is unseen is going to be coming into existence. We're going to stand before Jesus Christ, and he's going to say, Well done, come on in. And it's going to be worth it all, folks. And so, I mean, I, I share this to you that might be here that don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You never ever put your faith and trust. I don't care how many weeks, I don't care many, how many years you've come to church on Sunday mornings. You might be sitting here, and you might have done that for your whole life. You've come to this church, or you've come to a church, and you sat there, but you've never ever made a personal re, relate, I mean, giving yourself a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, Josh McDowell says this, Josh McDowell was an atheist. I mean, he was challenging his college to find something, to find something that would uh, take away the name of Jesus forever in people's eyes. That Jesus wasn't real. So in his book, I mean, More Than a Carpenter, Josh McDowell talks about how he spent over 700 hours of research trying to find something that would discredit the name of Jesus. And at the end of those 700 hours, he realized that Jesus is who he said he was. He was God's son. He did come to a to us in a, as a baby born in Bethlehem. He did live a sinless life and he did die on a cross for you and for me. But even at that, when even after he came to that place where he realized, I mean, that, that it was the truth, it said it still took him 18 months before he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ because of pride, thinking, I'm not, I'm not gonna serve somebody who's gonna tell me what I can do and what I can't do. But now Josh McDowell's a pastor out in California. But I mean, I want you to understand what he said in one of his chapters. He said, Christ was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he's who he said he was. And you know, today, a lot of us in here, when we listen to our professors, we listen to our teachers, we listen to our parent, we listen to a friend, we listen to our peers, and they say Jesus was a liar. He was a lunatic. Well, I challenge you, as Josh McDowell did, I challenge you to find something, research to find something, to say that he wasn't real. You know, even for myself, I mean, growing up, I mean, I lived in the coattails of my My mom and dad, my aunts and uncles, I mean, we went out and sung with the gospel airs and family every Sunday night. And I heard the plan of salvation. I heard their lives every night. And for a long time in my life, I mean, I lived on their coattails, but I had to come to the same conclusion. I I had to do my own research to figure out whether Jesus Christ was who he said he was or not. And each one of you in here has to do the same thing. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can't just take it from somebody else. You have have to do your own research. But I can guarantee that you're going to come to the same conclusion as Josh McDowell did, that he is real, that he loves you with everything that he has in him. And he wants to be your Savior and he wants to be your Lord. So, I'll just close with this right here, folks. I mean, and this, is, this is the bad, the dire part of it all. All of us in here know about Noah and the flood and how Noah was asked to build a big ark without rain being in existence, but he was asked to build a big ark. And he asked his friends and neighbors to, to build that ark with him. And all of them laughed at him, told him, You're a fool. So Noah, with his three sons, his three daughter-in-laws, and his wife set out to build this ark. And as they were building that ark, I mean, once again, the people in the towns were coming out and saying, what do you think you're doing? You're crazy. You're a fool. But one day, that ark got done. And one day, Christ brought all those animals into that ark. And one day, those rain started and that, that door started to shut. By God's hand, that door started to shut. Can you imagine all those people? All those people that were sitting there having